Hey, hey. Garden party's back. Time 2021. For another, another season of conversations with Alaskan gardeners. Good morning. Margaret Tharp and David Lendrum from Landscape Alaska. Wishing you all happy gardening. Hey, welcome we, to a new season. Are we loving this weather? It's about time, don't you think? Oh, boy, do I. Now, we brought in our first crop of nursery stock about a month ago, but we couldn't even get it out of the container. We had to keep it stored up until just recently. But boy, is there some lovely, lovely stuff coming. Everybody's anxious to garden, David. Oh, I can tell. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people that have questions. And so if you have any questions, you can call us at... 586-1800. This is our call-in radio show. We're all over Southeast Alaska. We'd be glad to talk about cultivation techniques, new varieties, how to fertilize things, what gets pruned when, all the exciting new horticultural topics that we can possibly imagine. Right, and the potatoes that are coming. And the new potatoes, it's seed potato season. You know, last year, seed potatoes were in such such short supply that we ran out early. So we're we're starting early this season. If you're interested, contact us at Landscape Alaska at Gmail. They're coming out of Anchorage, right? They are coming out of Anchorage, coming directly out of tissue culture, clean, virus-free, grown in Alaska. You know, in the state of Alaska, by law, you, you can't bring seed potato in from out of the state because the seed potatoes grown here are virus-free and they don't want to get any potato viruses into them. Yes. So we're buying direct from the laboratory and uh, it's it's a lovely product, absolutely lovely fingerlings? product. What are they called? The, the, we have Magic Myra fingerling potatoes. Magic Myra. <laughs> we've got Yukon Golds. We've got Chieftains that have red skin and white flesh. We've got... Uh, one with uh, called Jagoba, which is white-skinned and white flesh for Here's like French call. fries. Oh, good morning. Conversations. Good morning, good morning. Hi, I have um, a couple questions. Great. So I put bark mulch down last year, and of course it's a mess right now. Do I want to dig that into the dirt or put new on top of it is my first question. And the second question do I, if I buy a bag of compost, is that what I want to work into the soil to at least give it a fighting chance? <laughs> so where do you live? What part of town? Uh, Back Valley. Okay, so your soil is essentially sterile and silty. So digging the, the, the bark into the soil is a really good idea. And what kind okay. of things are you going to grow? Oh, it's their beds that are already there. Um, okay. So sh- not shrubbery? vegetables. Yes. Are you going to plant vegetables too? No. Okay. Yeah. Well, anything you can do to enhance your soil is, is always a good process. And uh, adding some composted chicken manure with the compost and the bark gives it a nice texture and nutrition that you can uh, get a lot of results from your shrubbery and perennials. Because remember, the, the compost and the bark have no nutrient content at all. They're soil okay. builders and they're soil conditioners and they'll give aeration and, and uh, improve the general health of your soil. But in terms of actually feeding the plants that you've got, they're not there. So okay. some other fertilizer so if I'm gonna if I'm going to get compost and chicken manure, can you give me a rough idea of half and half or... Uh, put the chicken manure around where the root systems are. Okay. You know, and just lay it on top. You're not going to dig it in. The compost oh, you're gonna okay. you're gonna lay on and dig in. You're gonna dig it in where you don't have roots, 
But where you do have roots, you don't want to disturb them. You just want to lay it over the top of them. Very good. Okay Thank you. Know. That's just what I needed. Thank okay. you. Happy you to do bet. That. Okay, bye-bye. Happy gardening. Oh, by the way, for anybody that's interested, Margaret and I send out uh, email newsletters sporadically. And if you want to get on our email list, send us a, an email to landscapealaska at gmail, and we'll include you on our list. So that's for uh, both, both regular conversations and also we offer special deals to people on our, our mailing list. Special and, deals, Dave. Well, special People are going to put your feet deals. to that fire, yeah, That's man. right. Special <laughs> secret. You know, remember in the Animal House? Super secret. Fox special. Yes, exactly. Uh, never, never take a no for an answer. So one of the things we have this year that we haven't had access to before is we have, uh, we have these new released fruiting plants that are developed by the university laboratories and, and testing facilities. And sometimes, you know, the, it's a, there's a lag time between when they develop the plants and when they're available out in the general market. So we found somebody in that production chain and we're able to get our hands on early copies. So we have some early varieties. And, and uh, one of them is a new raspberry. And I don't have very many of these yet, but that's a, that's a, you know, in most raspberries. What's it called? Vintage, vintage come from Oregon State, and it's, and it's a based on a New Zealand raspberry. Is that correct? Uh, that's a different one, but we've got that one too. But this one is a uh, developed there in Corvallis, and most raspberries, as you know, the cane grows one season and goes dormant, and then has fruit on it the next season. And this this one now has fruit on the cane the first season, so it means a much faster cropping system. But the big deal about them is that they're so tender and juicy that they can't be shipped. They're really meant for... Eating. Yeah, go stand next to it, pick it, and eat it. <laughs> so Vintage. Vintage, okay. And so. they call that thing primocane. The primocane is the one that grows this year, and floricane is the one that, that lived over the winter. So uh, these are babies, you know. You're not going to get any fruit on them this year. This is to but get started. But next year you would. Next year you'd get fruit on them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... If you have any more questions, 586-1800, give us a call. And we'll start having the nursery open regularly uh, probably the 1st of May. Yeah. We've still got ice and snow. We've spent the last few days We had so much snow at our nursery. It it, it crushed all our – we couldn't – this last month, we had so much snow, we had nowhere to clear the snow off of our cold frames, and so they all collapsed. We had four feet of snow – up and over the top of our cold frames. We just emptied them out yesterday, so they're out in the sun. And a lot of them look fine, but uh, the cold frames the cold are cold frames themselves are, are crushed. That's right. <laughs> we had so much snow on either side of our greenhouse that the snow on the greenhouse roof couldn't shed because there was snow all the way up to Nowhere there. Nowhere for it to go. There's still eight feet of snow piled up along the sides of the greenhouses. It's just So we the drive downtown, look around. You know, here's all these people, snow-free. We're jealous. Got their shorts on, their Birkenstocks. <laughs> you know, it's just not true everywhere. As you get further back toward the glacier, things get colder and colder and colder. Well, you so can let's still talk grow, about the new roses. There are some beautiful roses. Right. I'm very excited. I'm going to plant. I think I'm going to plant two of them in my yard. The bunnies will like them. That's right. Absolutely. So there's a new rose called Miracle on the Hudson. And it celebrates the uh, emergency landing of the 
the airliner on the Hudson River, I don't know, four or five years ago. I don't know, like 30 years ago. Oh, no, not that, well, yeah, 2009, long, I think, is when it happened. No, longer ago than that. Anyway, far be it from me. So, uh, this is a zone three rose, which means hardy to minus 25, 30 degrees. Oh, good morning, conversations. Yes, I was wondering, the yams, can you grow them in a greenhouse? I imagine you could. I've never tried. I've never grown yams. Anybody have any information about yams? Give us a call. You bet. Okay. And and if you find out, Calls call me back. Up. <laughs> what kind are you going to grow? Well, um, the ones that you was talking about that's for Alaska. Those are, we were talking about potatoes, but not necessarily yams. But there's the Japanese yam and there's yellow sweet potatoes and there's the orange ones. There's so many different kinds of yams. But we were talking about potatoes, and yes, you can grow those in greenhouses, but you don't need to. They're just fine growing outside in the yard. People grow them in in raised beds here. um, When I used to try to have a garden in the yard, the bears would dig everything up. (laughs) Yeah, there is that, isn't there? So uh, I do have a greenhouse, so I want to use that. I think you get better results in a greenhouse. Sounds perfect. um, so the yams that you're talking about is tested for Alaska. Yeah. Uh, that's that's whatever brand that is. That's the one I would like to have. Okay, send me an email. I'll get back in touch oh, with you. I, I don't know how to do email. I'm sorry. Okay, then uh, my cell phone. Got a pencil? Uh, hold on, just one second here. <laughs> Let me get it. Okay, now I'll give you my cell phone number and you can call me up and make arrangements. Okay, now what is that number? It's 321-4149. Okay. So okay. that is 321-4149. 321-4149. You betcha. That'll get to me. Okay. Thank you so much. Have My a great, great pleasure. You, you too. Betcha. Enjoy the stay. Bye-bye. And so these Miracle on the Hudson Roses are going to get about chest high. You know, one of the things about them that are pretty is, is they're just coming out in leaf now, and their leaves are colored. I mean, I know they're going to turn green, but they're kind of reddish orange leaves and then are starting to turn green. And the color of the rose itself is a beautiful red, a beautiful deep, deep red, kind of like a tomato red. All right. And the last couple of years, as they do rose trials, these particular roses have run a, won awards all over the world. I bet. So Especially in the thrilled. northern climes. Especially in the northern climes. And also, you know, the... The modern rose breeding is to go away from from uh, having to spray them and to, in, to focus on disease resistance and pest resistance. Sure. And so the Europeans quit spraying in their commercial floriculture about ten years ago, you know, and so they just rely on breeding to do it. Right, and you know the roses that we have gotten in the past have been really good for that. You know, I planted those red roses at the fish hatchery. 
They just came back year after year, you know, blooming. I'm happy. sure that they're. I'm sure they're happy now. They're probably going to get to be twice as big this year. Probably. That's one of the most exciting things. You know, you put it in the ground, and it starts to grow. And you know, you encourage it, and you get kind of excited about it. And then the end of the season comes, and but then the next year when it comes back, it booms up out of the ground like a, like a teenager. You know, yeah. All of a sudden, a big growth spurt, and the next thing happens, and then, then the next season. You know, and the roseanne geraniums are like that. Oh, God, yes. It takes them a year to really kind of. I mean, they start blooming right away, but they get much bigger the second year and the third year. And take that all that rain that we had last from midsummer on, they just bloomed and bloomed, and never, never a brown leaf, never a bad flower. It just bloomed continuously yeah that's one of the most wonderful flowers well i don't think it performs anywhere like it does in alaska you know i think it gets too hot for it in other places down south so they don't get the result that we get but we plant it and then it starts coming on at the end of june and blooms all the way to the end of october and you don't have to do anything (laughs) you don't have to pick off flowers you don't have to worry about seed heads you just enjoy it and it's also planted around the Capitol building with all those white hydrangeas. Yep, blooms at the same time. And the crocus are blooming around the Capitol building uh, now. Somebody called me last night. Mm-hmm. Said, oh, look at that. Yeah, I thought because it's been so late, so much snow, that perhaps they wouldn't perform this year. But it, it'll be interesting to see how people, what kind of results they get from their tulips and the daffodils because they've been buried in snow much longer than usual and the winter's been long enough so it might affect tulip production especially daffodils are a little tougher i bet you're going to see tremendous color shows well we'll love everything we get i know that and i like them done in those great big colorful contrasting blocks like you plant them like uh you know like an impressionist painting great big blocks of color Big Absolutely love them. I can't remember. I planted over a thousand in Ginger's yard last year. I mean, it's quite a production to organize that many different colors and textures on either side of her driveway and have it come up and be successful. But Not only that, have a different a different color palette every year. Mm-hmm. We like that too. So, uh, of all the places that you planted last season, the up at the hospital and down in in the the historic park area and people's gardens and working around the the Capitol building too. Which ones do you think are going to be the most impressive? I think they're all going to be beautiful. I think I think the planting I did up at the recovery center is really charming. And um, like we were saying, it takes a while for plants to get established. But for me, it's always about. It's never about one flower. It's about the patterns that you make by using plants together as a palette. And there's a rhythm. Now you see it, now you don't. Now you see it, now you don't. So you have a chance not to make it monotonous, but enjoyable and yet comforting so you can recognize the pattern when you're walking down the street or you're driving up to someplace. It's a really a, a psychological effect, the landscape, in a person's mind's eye in terms of what they can feel comfortable with and that's what I focus on it's never one flower or, or one shrub it's a combination of things that lend different strengths to different times of the year and putting them into repeating patterns and having large enough 
collections of whatever there is so it has more of an impact than just one yes and breaking it up so it's not it's not continuous it, the you have you have some variety in it like i said now you see it now you don't now you see it now you don't and then not what you don't see is another pattern all of its own that gets repeated on down the line too and then there's also the and then next month it's a different pattern right what i really liked last year was how you used those dwarf hydrangea trees as punctuation points and how you'd have a, a line of, of uh, flowering shrubs and evergreen shrubs and then boingo a, uh, a hydrangea re- tree. They're, they're gonna be really pretty this year. I bet they are. And the, the idea that they start blooming around July and they've still got flowers on them when the frost comes, it's just perfect for us here. Right. It's nice to prune them back. You know, Now's the time. It, well, now or even at the end of the year, as long as you you let them have new buds and you prune it back to just about an inch or two above a strong bud. That's right. So that the branches don't get so heavy with flowers that they can't support themselves. Because the flowers get huge. Mm-hmm. Flowers on those hydrangeas just get huge. Right. Last year we had some that had flowers that were 24 inches long. Yeah. Just enormous things. So the... The quick fire hydrangea, which has the smaller flowers, is uh, is the one that we like to use. I think use. that's going to be a better choice here. Yeah. And when Margaret was and saying, and you're going to find that sweet summer for me. Um. Okay. <laughs> it's a European clone. That's what I can find. I couldn't find it in the U.S. So the uh, the hydrangeas are bare of leaf now, and they look like they're dead. They're sticks. They're just sticks with little fat buds on them. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, when you're pruning that kind of a hydrangea, you're going to prune it back, like Margaret said, almost as far back as it was pruned the year before. Maybe two more buds left on the stem. So it seems, oh gosh, I'm cutting the whole top of it off. But then they start growing from that, and they bloom on what grows out of those they flower boom. buds. They boom more than they grow. They that, boom. There is no doubt about it. They boom forward. And I got a call yesterday from someone who uh, I'd spoken to last summer about uh, attaching their climbing hydrangea to the concrete retaining wall. And once you have to get it close enough that the stems can reach out and touch the concrete, and then they'll be able to hang on to it. But if the plant's planted too far away from it... It's nice to put a little wooden trellis attached to the retaining wall to give them something to cling to also, sure is. rather than the concrete... But um, you have a lot of pruning to do. You've had several lilac people wanting you to come and prune their old lilacs. And um, and the cherry trees. And you have to go prune Stuart's lilac that you didn't get to the last two years. But this year, feet to the fire, yeah, I you know. have to go there and prune it. Because, you know, we moved it. It's alive. It really needs to be cleaned up and heavily fed and it should come booming forward this year too i'm sure it will and i'll get to use my new pruning tools that's right which just thrill me but you've had several calls about pruning lilacs well and and uh it is time for doing all that kind of stuff you know that if you prune things in the in the fall that's one way and they can still get damaged during the winter time or or uh, something can get kind of weakened you really want to go through all that stuff now too with your nice sharp shears and make sure it's all up to date and 
oriented the way you want it. And remember when you're, when you're pruning stuff like this, you look at the stem and you see the direction that the bud is pointed and that's the direction the new branch will grow. So if you cut it above a bud that's pointed to the right, the new branch is gonna grow to the right. If you cut it above a bud that's going to the left, the new branch will go that way. So you can arrange and have the, the new growth grow away from the center of the plant so you have some open space inside it. Right. So 586-1800 if you want us to talk about something other than pruning because once David gets started, it's hard to get him to change his mind. <laughs> there is that. There is that. So uh, let me talk about something else then. How about, how about that uh, clematis that looks like lilies on a vine? Well, we have to see. It's pretty slow. It's pretty slow. SLO. Barely coming up. Very slow. So it's it's only one single tendril coming up out of the ground at this moment. But I believe it's going to grow. I have faith. Yeah, I do. I feel like a religious convert there. But we might have to have it for a couple of seasons before it starts showing off. So look at our our posts on instagram and facebook and we'll show you pictures of some of this stuff boy but our apple we only have a few spur apples this year but the ones we have are really cool really sturdy and ready to go yeah they look wonderful Mm -hmm. so a spur apple is an apple tree that grows a single trunk straight up it doesn't really grow branches much no branches has little stubby fruiting spurs that grow right out of the trunk Maybe you'll get one branch. Maybe the main trunk will split into two. But they, not- des- they describe it as something that's no more than three feet wide. So that gives you an idea as a mature tree. It only gets three feet wide, even though it gets... Ten feet tall. Ten feet tall. And, you know, they can produce 250 apples. And it just looks like like some kind of... of ungodly fruiting thing because there's apples stuck right to the trunk everywhere. It is wild. Yeah, it is. And you have to thin them because they're so productive. You're right. You have to thin the apples off of them because they make so many apples. So on a tree that is three to four feet tall, you can get 40 apples. Right. You know? And one of the nice things about those kinds of trees is that they're easier to protect from the bears. And they don't take up too much room. So they're really for small garden spaces. Yep, we're looking forward to that. And uh, we have a few kinds of cherry trees. We have the cherry tree that, that flowers that everybody's got around here called Montmorency, the most popular cherry tree in Alaska. It's a pie cherry, and it's a red flesh and dark, dark red skin, really productive and self-pollinating. We have another kind called an Evans Bali B-A-L-I, which is an heirloom cherry found out in an a, uh, abandoned pioneer homestead sometime place in the prairie provinces in Alberta. Wow. So The um, only tree left on that property was this cherry tree. And a fanatic found it. A fanatic found it, that's <laughs> right, and took cuttings and began grafting them, and it's a really, really hardy, hardy to minus 50 degrees cherry tree. Sounds great. Whoopee. Yeah, and yeah. delicious. So how big does it get? It grows like a regular tree. Big. So it depends on what, what kind of rootstock it's grafted onto, you know. So the ones that we have are grafted onto a semi-dwarfing rootstock, so they'll get about 15 feet. Okay. Because you want to you protect those, too, because the bears like the cherries. Yeah, bears love those cherry trees. That's right. 
And then we, we were also talking about uh, some other kinds of fruiting plants. Our favorites are the, the low-spreading blueberries, the ones that make a ground cover here. They are native to Maine and Nova Scotia. They're the same flavor like as, as our native berry. You know, not real sweet, but real, real flavorful. It grows like a heather grows in that it's, and, or like lingonberry. goes prostrate on the ground and then thickens up over time. So it gets, you know, a foot deep and uh, lots of berries. I was talking to a guy from Maine last week who was saying that when he was a boy in school, that's how he paid for his school clothes, was he went out and harvested those blueberries. And they have a... a a blueberry rake. Yes, I know. And that you'd work bent over and rake and rake and rake and rake and they get paid, I don't know, three cents a pound or something like that. That's perfect for young people who can bend easily. <laughs> That's right. I'd, I'd really want to get a nice pair of tennis shoes. Well, yeah. You know, like, Remember how you used to have the kids pick uh, the Cornus Canadensis berries? That's right. We did, didn't we? And mm-hmm. kids, kids here paid for their school clothing mm-hmm. out of that. Yep. And it ended up in Germany. Right. Boy, that's such a nice plant. Okay, so uh, we'll be on the air every week. And if you want to send us some uh, some questions to talk about, you can use our website to get in touch with us, landscapealaska.com. And our website is in a, uh, a state of being uh, changed and transformed. So as you look at it and things move around on it, be sure to stay in touch with us and tell us if you want to have anything that you you see that you'd really like to have access to. Because we have uh, the articles that most Margaret and I have put on for the last several years. And we have pictures of the work we've done. And we have some special plant presentations. And we'll always have some kind of a, a commentary and a discussion of what's, what's hip and pleasant and exciting these days. And we enjoy this weather. It's going to be beautiful for the next week to 10 days. And after what we've all been through, None of us can get enough, I know. And we're supposedly, we're also going to have a meteor shower tonight. So, woohoo! Woohoo! Woo-hoo. So, Margaret's been uh, working on the new bedding plants that have come in for this season. And uh, by the, by next week, we should be able to have a nice uh, availability of different varieties for that. You've seen some things that are starting to open their flowers already. There's some really nice native plants also. Really, really nice. And some of them are in super plugs, and some of them are in gallon cans. They're all different sizes and all different prices. That's right. It'll be exciting. So we're looking forward to another gardening active season. If you have projects you want to have us look at, don't don't hesitate. We'll be glad to look at them. And uh, the, the phone is ringing as we speak, so we're filling our calendar. But we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have a chance to come out and look at your yard. And remember, whenever you contact us, send us some photos. Show us what's going on in your yard. Show us something that's happening in your neighborhood. Show us something that's really exciting in your yard. I saw somebody today posting their hellebores were blooming. You know, these may be just like uh, the... Yes. Just like the peonies. The peonies. <laughs> I was trying to think of the name of it. Just like when the peonies bloom in Alaska, they're not blooming anywhere else. Same thing with the hellebores. When they're blooming in Alaska, they're done everywhere else. They're not, not blooming at all. Right. We're um, on our own wavelength. We're on our own wavelength. That's right. Okay, so uh, we'll talk to you again next weekend. And until then, this is Margaret Tharp and David Lundrum. 
from Landscape Alaska, and we're wishing you all happy gardening.